Perfect. So you grew up in Hebron, Connecticut. What was that like? Like, What's Hebron like and what was it like growing up there? So uh, Hebron, Connecticut, it was a really nice place to grow up. My parents are still there. Uh, very rural. Um, I went to a relatively smaller school that was actually a regional school. Uh, it's called Ram High School. Uh, it served three towns, Hebron, Andover, and Marlboro. And, uh, but overall, it's a really nice place to grow up, good school system, uh, lots of outdoor activities. Um, on the flip side, it was kind of far from a lot of places. So whether it was grocery shopping, um, swim practice, things like that, it was kind of a hike to get anywhere. But for the most part, it was, it was a good place to grow up. Yeah. Did you have a grocery store in your town or no, you were always driving? Yeah, a really small one, but I lived on the border of like Hebron and Glastonbury. So we functioned primarily out of Glastonbury. Very nice. Do you have siblings? Yeah. So I have uh, four older half siblings and then a younger sister. Uh, my older, um, older siblings are all in Indiana where my mom um, is from and where my dad went to school. And then um, my younger sister, Justine, she actually lives in New Jersey now. So she's been there for about, um, I say since 2016 between Manhattan and New Jersey, but she's now in uh, Hoboken. So pretty close with all my siblings. That's nice. Um, you said your dad went to Indiana. Did he go to IU as well? Yeah, he did. Um, so he was born and raised in France. And then he uh, grew up swimming in France. Uh, and then eventually when he, when he came to making the decision to go to college, he really wanted to swim for Doc Councilman, who was a, uh, one of the more uh, well-known swim coaches in, in swimming history. So he ended up getting a spot on the team there and then he ended up staying in the United States. So he um, went to IU for undergrad then stayed there for dental school and then eventually met my mom in Northern Indiana where he was practicing. And then they both ended up moving to Connecticut. That's so cool. How'd they make the move from uh, Indiana to Connecticut? Um, I think it was just mostly for like a, like a job opportunity came up. Uh, my dad's, uh, two sisters live in um, like the Washington DC area, like Northern Virginia and New York city. So he had family on the East coast and being in Connecticut, it was nice because with his uh, French side of the family, it was nice for him to be able to get to France from like either New York or Boston. So Connecticut was a nice middle ground. That's really cool. Do you still have family in France or? Uh, yeah, we have, um, uh, we have some cut. My dad has cousins, but for the most part, all of my direct relatives from France are uh, in the United States now. Okay, very cool. How'd you get into swimming? How'd you start? What was the trajectory of that? Yeah, so um, it's a funny question, because usually for the most part, people like have like some, I, I just always remember swimming. I don't know if you felt the same way, but um, my dad from an early age, just like while he was swimming, um, like recreationally, he would bring my, uh, myself and my younger sister to the pool. My mom would watch, watch us and like, let us play in the pool while he was doing laps. And then eventually when we got old enough, you know, being around the pool so much, it was like just a, a no brainer, but, um, I don't really ever remember, um, making a conscious decision to be like, oh, I want to swim. I just always remember swimming. And, uh, I started competitively swimming when I was around six. And then from there, I started swimming year round, probably around nine, 10 years old. And then from there, swam from age six to basically 26. Very cool. Did you swim on your regional high school team as well? I did one year of high school swimming. Um, Ram had a uh, co-op, meaning that since we didn't have a pool, we had to swim with another uh, local high school. So we ended up swimming with Wyndham High School, which is kind of close to stores where University of Connecticut is. Uh, so I did one year, my sophomore year of high school there, but it, 
the conflicting practice schedule made it a little challenging with my club team, uh, especially with the distance being my club team was based out of either Hartford at the time and then eventually in New Britain, Connecticut. So to make the drive all the way from Hebron to go to some practice in, in like Willimantic area and then back all the way to stores, all while going to school in a different or not stores, but um, New Britain to a, a high school in a different town. It was just too much driving. So. That is a lot of drive. Did it the team move or did they have two locations? So it did move. Um, the team also had multiple locations. Uh, Sunoco, um, it's now Blue Devil Aquatics, and ironically, and you're at um, the same mascot for yeah. Duke, as Connecticut. But um, originally, we were for a period of time we were at um, a public high school in Hartford, and then we eventually started uh, having our practices at uh, Central in New Britain. But um, we had, and then there was also a team that swam out of Southern and for some meets we would be combined. So we had a really large team for a relatively small state, but it's, uh, from what I understand, I don't think it no longer is, uh, the same, same team or even same name. Yeah. It's not as nowhere near as big anymore. I think they ended up splitting into yeah. two different teams. Did you like being on a bigger club team? Did you find camaraderie in that or? Yeah, I did. And I felt like we had a really good, um, really good relationship with the team based out of Southern Connecticut state university. Mm -hmm. uh, my coach, Bill ball, uh, he ran the um, Northern side of Sunoco and then Tim Quill was down at Southern. And although we are two separate, basically sites, when we came together for meets, it was always a lot of fun. Um, and I did like being on a bigger club team. Ironically, I always like begged my dad to uh, like send me down to Jacksonville because of the bulls. Um, oh, account. Yeah down here it has a really good prep uh like prep school and uh like boarding school um but in retrospect i'm really happy i stayed in connecticut because my club team set me up really well for college swimming um i was able to stay at home and you know in the moment when you're like young and like a teenager you're thinking like oh i want to you know get out of the house i want to go somewhere mm -hmm. else looking back now that i'm in my like mid like early to mid 30s it's nice to have spent that time at home yeah, that's very true. Also, so you said your school was pretty small. Was there were the classes small as well? Yeah, um, the classes were relatively small. Uh, I think there were about for a town uh, like for a regional school with three separate towns. I think there were about two hundred twenty uh, students per class, and I think that that's changed recently. But um, relatively small classes. Um, I felt that the like quality of the teaching there was really good, uh, like mix of honors, AP, some UConn, like college credit classes, but overall it was like very good, um, despite being a smaller school, but I, I felt like that kind of made for a, a nice interaction with, you know, teachers, um, and like your classmates. Very cool. What were some of your favorite classes growing up, favorite subjects? Um, I really liked bio. I had, um, a lot of really good biology teachers at, um, at Ram. Uh, and then as I get, got further and further along, um, during my senior year, I took some UConn biology classes that were actually given at Ram. And the teacher was basically accredited to like teach a college level course, um, which ended up preparing me well for, uh, my eventual undergrad classes and my major in biology as well. But I really liked, we had an anatomy class. We did some like cool, um, like uh, dissections, we did um, some like good genetics, uh, physiology, things like that. But um, for the most part, I like most of the science classes. But um, overall, even like some of my English classes were really good, which was not as much of my interest, but I did enjoy um, the teachers there. That's so cool. What did you get to dissect? Uh, we did a cat. 
like a like a house cat which was uh definitely like a little i i've never been like a big cat person but for the most part like dissecting a cat is something that you see all the time it was a little um I don't know how you said, like maybe uncomfortable at first, but then you kind of just get used to it. And it's just, it's like a very common theme whenever you're doing like cadaveric dissections. I don't know if you've taken any anatomy courses or anything in bio yet, but um, it's definitely something where it's like a little weird at first and then you just get used to it. Yeah, not yet. My mom always told me about the cat dissection, but I haven't been able to do any myself yet. But it seems pretty interest interesting. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When you were younger, did you know what kind of job you wanted or what you wanted to do for a living or were you still figuring it out? So I went back and forth. I think for the most part, I always had like in the back of my mind that I wanted to go into some field of dentistry because my dad's a general dentist and my mom's a dental hygienist. Um, but my dad always kind of pushed for me to like look into oral surgery. So I started um, the first time I like shadowed an oral maxillofacial surgeon, I was uh, 16. And then I shadowed a few locally around um, where I grew up, like Glastonbury, Rocky Hill area. And then um, that was before college. And then I went to college. I considered um, applying to med school. I took a like MCAT prep course. And then at the end of the day, I was like, you know, I want to definitely do something procedural, like out with my hands. And uh, in medicine, there's so many different specialties. Um you can go into any, you can go into, you know, medicine, you can go to radiology, pathology, surgery, um, but you're not necessarily guaranteed to, to do something with your hands. So I figured, you know, if I go into dentistry, I'm going to, regardless of if I specialize or not, I'll be able to do procedures myself. Yeah. Um, and it was pretty early on in dental school at University of Connecticut, where I decided that I wanted to pursue oral surgery. So. Very cool. So when you so you said you started swimming competitively around six, and then a little when you were a little old, you started swimming full, full year round. When did you realize that you were pretty good or doing well? Uh, kind of uh depends. So I knew like when I was like an age group swimmer that I was uh decent, but at the same time, Connecticut's not the biggest swimming state as you know, but there's still a lot of really good swimmers coming out of the state, especially recently between like. Kieran Smith, like Will Gallant, there's like all these guys that are like top swimmers on the U.S. national team. Yeah, um, and it's it's like pretty impressive to see. So I would say when I was like 10, I had a pretty, I was like pretty competitive, um, like in Connecticut and even in like the Northeast. But when everybody else went through their like growth spurts and got faster from like 10 to 14, I kind of fell off because I'm not the tallest. I'm being 5'11". Mm -hmm. I was actually one of the shorter guys on my college swim team. And then I started to get better as I joined, you know, as I got put in a different, like, you know, body of work, I like trained really hard. I knew that given my size, I wasn't going to be able to really be as competitive without like training really hard. So as I moved through, I, I'd say 14 years old, I started actually swimming in France a little bit because my dad being from France, um, I have dual citizenship. So I swam uh, at some club meets and even like French junior nationals uh, at 14. And then I kind of, I was at a crossroads. I had to decide whether I wanted to try to make the U S junior team or the French junior team. And, um, I ultimately decided to go with, uh, France for that choice. And then that kind of carried me through the rest of my swimming career. Very cool. Um, what's the swimming culture like in France compared to here? Um, it's a, a lot of similarities, uh, in the sense that, you know, high level athletes are definitely, you know, they're, um, they're putting in very similar types of training, similar hours, but I'd say the biggest difference in swim culture between France and the United States is the, um, is like 
high school and college athletics. So in France, there are some prep schools where you go to school, your schedule is built around like your athletic training. And that, that's not necessarily just for swimming, but uh, as you get further and further along, if you want to do any kind of professional um, swimming in France, like there's no way you can really manage. I, I, I take it back. There are some situations where you can do college and then swim, but college athletics is not big in France. So you get to a point there where you either have to decide to pursue like academics or um, your athletic like pursuits. So mm-hmm. tough to ban- manage both. And that's why there's actually a decent number of French swimmers um, who are now coming to the United States. One of the like most famous swimmers in the world right now is, is yeah. from France, Leon, Leon Marchand. Um, and he's at Arizona State. Um, but he's able to get his degree in the United States, swim on the college team, then he'll be able to, you know, do whatever he really wants, like um, academically afterwards, if he decides to go back to France for professional school or stay in the United States and, you know, continue training you have a little bit more flexibility. Whereas in France, it's, uh, you know, I had some friends who swam like in modified, like college programs. Yeah. They had no slack cut for them. Like if they had to miss for a swim meet, like they still had to, they couldn't like make up exams. It was a lot more challenging. Yeah. It was really tough. That must be so hard. Speaking of college. What, so since your father went to IU, when IU came and offered you a spot on the team, was it kind of a no brainer? Um, yes and no. Uh, initially I, I didn't, IU wasn't going to be my top choice before I took like my recruiting trips before I was being recruited. Um, they were a really good team. Um, but I always like kind of envisioned myself. I really wanted to go out to California for like to school just because I'd grown up East coast in Connecticut. And then when it came down to, I did take some recruiting trips at, you know, I I took a recruiting trip to Indiana, uh, USC, Southern California, um, I took one at Harvard and then I was planning to take one at uh, North Carolina and Stanford. Mm-hmm. I also canceled my UNC and Stanford trips because um, I decided to go to Indiana, but the Indiana was my first recruiting trip and like it set the bar so high and the, the team culture and what um, the, my coach and still the current coach Ray Luz had like planned for me was um, it was hard to, at that point, I felt like it was a no brainer. Um, he put a lot of, I was primarily a long course swimmer in high school. Um, and for a college team, it's, you know, yards and short course is definitely where you're going to get all your points, but he saw a lot of potential and, you know, whereas some schools didn't, um, I felt like that gave me a lot of, you know, confidence that he was going to be able to like prepare me to, for the, you know, the future. And I definitely am happy with my decision to have gone to IU. Yeah, that's very cool. Uh, what about the team stood out as well, like the team culture? Um, I really, I really liked the fact that there was a, a large number of guys in the team that had like similar goals. So we were, we came, my class, uh, initially the class of 2012, um, started with the goal of, you know, trying to win another Big Ten t- uh, title. The team had won one, I think, in 2007, a couple of years before. Um, but that was our big goal and then to move our way up in the NCAA rankings. Um, so myself, my best friend and college roommate, uh, Jimmy Barbier, his father had also swam at IU, um, really good swimmer, really good swimming family too. Um, we both were recruited at the same time and, uh, some other friends that I had met at like either the national select camp or, um, other swim meets, we all kind of had the same goal and we hit it off at the, not only the, um, 
recruiting trip, but at like meets throughout uh, our senior year. And when we all like basically committed to IU at the same time, we were all really, you know, excited about that. And although we fell short and didn't win a big, like a team big 10 title, um, it was like kind of the, we, I like to think that we paved the way for um, classes after us to really like kind of, you know, build a team. And now like historically the past couple of years, they've been as high as top three at NCAAs, like at one year, I think it was 2015, they were like going into the last day of NCAAs first. Um, and that coupled with an amazing diving team was also like, you know, a really good team culture. Yeah, they've been doing great recently. How was your freshman season? How'd that go? Or in freshman season with swimming and then with academics as well? Yeah, um, I would say I was like pleasantly surprised. I, you know, freshman year uh, transitioning from high school to college, both in terms of academics and like athletics is always a challenge. Um, I was uh, young for my class, so um, I wasn't necessarily sure how I was going to like, you know, stack up against the rest of the team. But luckily I was able to my background with my club team in Connecticut uh, my coach really prepared me to have my best event short course was the 500 freestyle, um, which I think helped as I went into college. I actually ended up having my best event at the end of my um, freshman year was 100, 200 back. Uh, I still did the 500. It was still a good event for me. But I think that body of work that I put in as like a high schooler really set me up well for college. Um, the training I adapted, I adapted well. Um, there was definitely an adjustment, you know, doing weights was new. Um, doubles, like, you know, multiple times a week was new. Um, but for the most part, that was a good transition. But, um, and then academically, I was lucky we had really good advisors at IU. Um, and, you know, from the get-go, I told Ray and the the academic advisors were aware that I wanted to pursue either pre-med or pre-dental. And they made it, um, you know, very easy for me to help, like, pick what classes were going to be good based on, you know, like championship season, things like that, without having to sacrifice, like, necessary you know um requirements so that was that was good and i was able to progress through my major without any issue very cool um and then you decided to redshirt your sophomore year correct yeah so it's actually kind of funny i initially my roommate jimmy barbier and i we were approached by the coaching staff and they said you know um we'd like to have you guys uh redshirt um to you know the team is in a building stage um you both are um, like physically have, have like room to grow uh, in terms of, you know, development, weightlifting, higher yardage with the college team. So we, they said, oh, it, it makes sense for you guys to redshirt this year um, in order to, you know, set up the team well for the, what would be our fifth year. Um, so we were all game for that. Uh, we were met with, you know, a lot of support from our teammates who at first were, um you know, they, everybody was on board with it, but it's tough to, you know, not compete with the team in red shirt. But then like a week before school started, I tore my ACL. Ooh. So I ended up having to red shirt anyways, but it ended up working out well because that year became instead of just a, an elective red shirt year, um, it became a um, medical red shirt. So yeah. that allowed me to eventually red shirt a second time for the Olympic trials in 2012. Um, and basically all of that combined became a perfect storm for like allowing me to, you know, spread out my classes. Um, I eventually did grad school, which um, to stay eligible because I'd finished my, you know, my undergrad degree. Um, so by doing grad school, um, it helped me not only stay eligible, but also like in, improve my resume for applying to dental school. 
Very cool. How did you tear your ACL? What was the recovery from that like? Because I know it can be so hard to come back from an injury. Yeah, um, it's it's a little embarrassing. So I tore my ACL playing ultimate frisbee. I'm like, I'd like to think I was a decent swimmer, but when it comes to land sports, I was not good at all. Yeah. Very uncoordinated. I definitely got better as I got older. Um, but uh, yeah, I remember like somebody went like through a pass. I like turned on my right knee and felt a big pop and fell to the ground immediately. And we were playing at the, like the the football stadium. I went into the athletic training room for the football team. And one of the trainers was like, yeah, I think you might've hurt your knee. So I eventually got a, um, we we're going to try to just, you know, do some physical therapy rehab it for a little bit. And after like four days, it wasn't getting better. Yeah. Um, Ray really like, you know, talked to the athletic trainer and eventually they decided to get a MRI and it was found to be a, a torn ACL. Um, I got surgery a couple of weeks later, or not even like maybe a week later. And then the recovery ended up being, really smooth because the best one of the best things you can do for a torn acl is swimming because it's not weight bearing so um mobility back really quick um the coaches at one point just had me wear use a pool boy and i was just pulling the entire time so i got in really good like cardiovascular shape in terms of pulling and then i ended up having one of my better seasons um after that like i i was basically out from i had surgery in september and then my first big meet back was march at sectionals and then i went to french nationals in april and um that was the first time i made the senior national team for france very cool what competition was that for that was um french nationals to qualify for the european championships so that was the um that was in 2010 i had missed making the world championships the year before that was the year of like this the super suits like with right. the pop so I didn't make the world championship team then I had gone to world university games and then the following year I made the French national team for European championships um and was able to go and represent France that summer yeah I know for some people super suits were super helpful and others they weren't as helpful and when they got banned it didn't really affect them much whereas you have people like Paul Biederman and he never yeah. had some super suit time how were they for you were they super helpful were they eh? Um, I would say they were, they were pretty, my best time in the two back still stands from when I wore, um, it wasn't a full body suit. It was, um, a leg, um, a leg skin that was, uh, um, that's when I wore that, the, that summer before in 2009. So my best time at one point was 157, seven in the 200 back. And then my best time, uh, without the suit was 158, four. So I did still have a, I was about a second off. Um, but I eventually went my best time in the hundred back and then 50 back. Cause they do the fifties in Europe um, and the, with the jammer. So that was at least a little bit better. And then um, I never really wore too many of the, I wore a laser um, uh, my freshman year, but I didn't like the full body suit for backstroke. So I just wore the leg skin and then I ended up uh, getting all my best times in the jammer um, short course. So. Very cool. And then how was European Championships in 2010? Was it your first major, uh, like, big senior meet? Yeah, um, it definitely was. The World University Games the year before in Serbia were big, but um, not every national team sent their A team. Like, the United States had a lot of their um, guys and, and girls that didn't make the World Championship team, but a lot of really competitive people. Japan sent a really strong team. Um, but the following summer at the European Championships it was my first, like, senior national meet. Um it ended up going okay in the sense that like I ended up making the the A final. I progressed through heats, semifinals, and finals, but I didn't really swim 
strategically that well. So I went like all out in prelims and I was seated first going into semifinals. And then in semifinals, I was just so shocked from the morning that I ended up getting eight. So I made it back into the final, but um, th that year was like really kind of the big pickup of like France doing well. I mean, they had some good swims at the 2008 Olympics, but um, leading up to the next Olympic cycle, France at that European championships, every guy on the team, except for three, myself included, didn't medal. So everybody else made a podium either on a relay or an individual event. So uh, I personally didn't do as well as I would have liked, but um, it was still a good experience to be able to, you know, make a final and go through prelim semifinals and finals. That's very cool. And then from that, you go into your sophomore season, which was a really good season for you. Yeah. And then, but towards the end of your sophomore season, you end up breaking your hand, right? Yeah. So at, at um, Big Tens, at conference uh, championships in the 100 back, uh, I broke my hand on the finish. And um, it was like, uh, it was pretty tough. Um, it was funny because I had a good race. I'd swam well in prelims. And then at night, I, I you know, dropped more time. Um, but I was like visibly, you know, visibly upset when I touched because I knew something was wrong with my hand. And a lot of people were like, why does he look so upset? He just had a good race. Um, but like I'd known that something serious happened. Um, and then eventually um, I didn't really know until after the meet, I think it was that Monday after big tens that my um, hand was broken. Um, but I was able to like wrap my hand up. We got like everything approved by the officials that I could like tape my hand up without like giving myself an unfair advantage. Um, and then I ended up swimming the 200 back on the third day of the meet. And uh, overall, it was like a, it was, I, I feel like I kind of, I don't even really remember the race itself that much because like I couldn't even warm up. I almost did it like cold turkey because oh, wow. I like warming up hurt so much. So I just did the prelims race and then I made it back into the top eight and then I swam at night. I ended up getting second uh, to one of my rivals from um, Ohio State, Andrew Elliott. Um, and he had, you know, really good meat too, but, uh, it was like tough to, you know, do that and then turn around four weeks later and go to NCAAs. Right. So you went into the wall so hard that you ended up breaking it. Yeah. Wow. And ironically, sorry. Um, I said, ironically, my roommate who I've re referred to before, Jimmy Barbier, his cousin, who is a, a Olympic medalist, uh, she broke her hand at Olympic trials in 2008, I think. Um, she broke her hand at trials and then after having made the Olympic team and then they had her do a swim off to see if she would be able to still go to the Olympics. And she did, and she ended up getting a silver medal. Um, so I remember like, I talked to Jimmy and I was like, Hey, do you think I could talk to your cousin about like her experience breaking hand? And he's like, yeah, sure. So I like texted her and she's like, yeah, I did a lot of kicking, a lot of, um, like dry land stuff that I could do without my like hand and it ended up working out for her. So. So then those next four weeks, did you take a lot of inspiration from her, a lot of kicking in practice? Yeah. I remember Ray had me doing a lot of like vertical kicking with like weights, like holding weights against my chest and using like fins. Um, but it was like really tough. And then it was actually kind of weird. I remember one day I was on the phone and my phone like slipped out of my hand and I felt something in my hand pop as I like tried to grab my phone. And then after that, I feel like it set the bone back. Like, oh, really? And then after that, like I almost could pull normally. So I went, it, that was about like two weeks out. So like halfway between big tens and NCs, um, my hand felt a lot better and it was like very reassuring that I was going to be able to at least swim. But um, I ended up just doing, I did the, 
I don't, I think I scratched the 200 IM at, at NCAAs and then I just did 100, 200 back in some relays and um, ended up doing like okay at that meet. Um, I was like very nervous that I wasn't even going to be able to swim and then it ends up working out. So, Very cool. So you started off as a 500 swimmer. Did you transition into an IMer? yeah, I made a deal with um, my, with Ray after my, I, I mean, I did some, some simple math and realized that the 200 IM is a lot shorter than a 500. Yeah, exactly. I remember swimming the 500 at NCAAs my freshman year and thinking during the race, I said, these guys are all going out so fast. Like almost as fast as I'm going out, like flat out for a 200. I was like, I don't know how I'm going to be able to like compete. Um, so I ended up trans
college, you know, finish on my college career um, after that made another French national team, um, but ultimately didn't, didn't make the Olympics. So. Very cool. Um, so just a question on how the nationals work. So if say you don't have 16 guys that go the time needed to make it out of prelims, will they, or semifinals have less than 16 people? No, that's a good question. Um, it won't because there's still other meets that people are trying to qualify, whether it's like junior, um, world junior championships, junior European junior championships. So they'll still fill all eight. And then for events, like for the 200 backstroke where it's not a relay, mm -hmm. um, they'll allow one foreigner per final. So basically, if you're from like Spain or Germany or Italy and you're at French nationals, then you're allowed to um, basically have one of those swimmers. But if it's a relay event, then no foreigners are allowed because up to six people can make the team. So that's so cool. So then next year you made the world's team though. And how is that meet? So, yeah, um, after 2012, actually it was 2013. Yeah. So in 2013, um, I initially, so that, that was actually a point where, um, in 2013, um, I didn't make war, I made short course worlds later, but I ended up making world university games. So I missed the cut for world championships. The guy who had broken the French national record the year before, um, he also missed the cut. So we both ended up going to world university games. Um, and we both swam very comparable. Um, we'd like go back and forth, um, uh, like in the 100, 200, but uh, I went to World University Games in Russia that year, which was a really fun experience. I made a final in the two back. Um, and then uh, after that, uh, when I had a good, like a, another good year at NCAAs um, and kind of took a lot of like, you know, motivation from, you know, some of my teammates to, you know, change, you know, how I was training, you know, I was transitioning to doing grad school. So, uh, it ended up being like setting me up well for my like sixth and final year at IU. Very cool. So after that final, so after that final season, was there ever any thought of maybe going pro or did you know you wanted to stay on the medical track? Yeah. So um, I'll answer that question. Do you need me to turn a light on? Cause it's getting dark. Uh, yeah. A light would be great. I'm sorry. I know the quality of the, I don't have the greatest of lighting. No, no worries. Turn one. I realized that I'm also wearing like all black, so it's not. Hopefully, that's a little. That should be a little bit. Better. That's better. Thank you. Sorry about that. Um. Uh, the question was about um, going pro. So I just I knew that after grad school, I kind of wanted to change of scenery. Mm -hmm. Um, and after graduating and using all my eligibility that I would want to, uh, I ended up moving to California, um, partially because I knew I could get a job coaching to help like offset the costs of like training. And then, so technically I did a little bit of time as a quote unquote professional swimmer, but not really. Um, I ended up using that time to like study for dental school. So that's when I kind of made the, you know, I took that year to study for the dental admissions test. I was coaching, swimming on my own. Um, I went to European championships in 2014. And then for the following year, I was training to try to um, get ready for the 2016 Olympic trials. Um, I moved, eventually moved to France to get ready for like the last minute preparations. And, you know, my times were, I was like plateauing. I wasn't getting any better. I had um, by that point gotten into dental school. So like, I, I don't want to say I was mentally checked out, but I did 
you know, I have a lot of other things going on in my life that um, I was looking forward to. So I ultimately made the decision in like January of 2016 to hang up the suit and, you know, focus on getting ready for dental school. I, you know, took those couple months off. I ended up moving back from France to Connecticut um, where I went to dental school. And then um, I traveled. I went back to Indiana, saw some of my friends. I saw family and um, at part of me at times wishes I had like kind of stuck it out, but I knew that um, I wasn't going to get the results that I wanted, regardless of, you know, making the team or not. Um, it, the time standard had was a lot more difficult. Um, I really didn't have a lot of confidence that I was going to make the time standard. And even knowing that I wouldn't make the team um, or thinking that I wouldn't make the team, I, I just didn't want to go there and not give it my, like, have the time and end my career on that note. So um Part of me wishes I had stuck it out, but at the same time, I, you know, having gotten into dental school, it really kind of had a change in, you know, my, my goals. So. And then, so then we transitioned to dental school. How was being back home, going to school the first couple of years of dental school? How was all of that? It was good. Um, at first, like people had asked like, oh, like, what are you going to do? Are you going to, cause I, where I went to dental school at UConn was only, you know, about like 35, 40 minutes from where I grew up, like door to door. So I thought it was going to be, you know, tough to justify like taking out more loans to live somewhere where I could live at home. And my parents were very nice and let me, you know, not have like, didn't make me pay rent. Um, so uh, I remember when I first started dental school, it was actually ironic. I was watching at one of like the big social functions. It was during the Rio Olympics. Oh, and the people in the classic knew that I'd swam. And when I was like watching these events and um, there was a few other people in the med school um, at UConn, cause the dental and medical school are combined the first two years that like knew some like mutual people. And they he started hearing us like talk about it. And they're like, wait, how do you know these guys? And we're like, Oh, like I, I swam and they were like kind of blown away, but it was like cool. Like watching like people I knew at in Rio, like doing well while I was like getting ready for dental school. So like I, I did feel to an extent that like, oh, that would have been cool if I had made it, but it was nice to be with, you know, family back in Connecticut and then like a new set of friends. So yeah, that's so cool. And then how was how rigorous were the courses? Was it a big transition from graduate school to dental school, or were you able to manage it pretty well? Um, I think I, I was able to manage it well in the sense that like I didn't go straight from undergrad to dental school and having done grad school kind of set me up for like a lot of like self-directed learning. I think um, it's easy to um, if you go straight through and there's like, I think going straight through from undergrad to medical or dental school or law school or whatever professional school is great. Um, but I'm a different, I was a different learner in my like late twenties than I was in my early to mid twenties. And I felt that um, some of the stress of like how rigorous dental school can be, um, was not quite as stressful because, you know, in, in grad school, you'll get an assignment and you say, you know, you have the entire semester to work on this and nobody's like holding your hand and making you check in to show your like progress. And then like the week before the, your professor's like, oh, okay, hopefully you're all working on this assignment. And then everybody's like, either the people who are procrastinating are in mass panic or um, they've done it. So I felt like that kind of prepared me well for dental school, but um, overall, it definitely was a tough transition because especially the medical school courses were um, the same ones that the medical students were getting. So it wasn't like there was any different exams or different classes. We had a few dental classes at the same time, and they had some other medical school classes that we didn't necessarily take. But um, it was definitely a challenge. And I think that it prepared me well for not only the rest of dental school, but even for residency. 
Very cool. Well, who were some of the best professors you had while you were there or just anything notable that you remember from these professors? Um, I'd say one thing that I really liked about UConn was like the, the class size. There's there were 50 people in my class. Um, so you had a lot of one on one, like one on one, you know, interactions with some of these professors um, off the top of my head. Uh, you know, some of the, the guys in the pros department and and some of the um, other providers so like Dr. Dingra was really good. Um, Dr. Duncan with uh, Prost, she was also an exceptional teacher. She like definitely held us all to a really high standard. Um, obviously, I can't avoid saying that I really gravitated towards the oral surgery department. Um, Dr. Schaefer, the chair and the um, program director, as well as Dr. Lottinger were great mentors. Um, your father, he gave a bunch of lectures, actually. Um, he was a big mentor. I, One of my other mentors who's finishing up residency at Columbia um, he's like, you know, if you, you really should try to, you know, shout out Dr. Fernini. Um, he's who I've been working with. And so seeing him in his practice was a, was a huge, um, help and like helped me not only make my decision for wanting to do oral surgery, but like help figure out where I wanted to go. Um, so I'd say overall every, you know, Dr. Paolella, the Dean, um, of admissions, um, she was a really good mentor for me because, you know, her husband's in oral and maxillofacial surgery. She knew that pretty early on that I wanted to do it. So she like took me under her wing and, you know, Dr. Artiega, who's one of the other deans, she was like very good about like outreach, um, getting involved with like the local community um, on top of being like an excellent operative and, um, you know, instructor both in the sim lab and then in clinical practice. So overall, I mean, if in all honesty, I could probably list off all the faculty at, at UConn. I actually had a lecture last night on dental implants and one of the sources that was um, cited was uh, one of the prosthodontists, Dr. Taylor. Um, and like he was listed with all these other oral surgery faculty and other prosthodontists. And it was like cool to see that his name is like on all this literature that we refer to now and like being like, oh, he was one of my teachers. So yeah. that was overall a really good experience. That's honestly amazing to hear. So you said earlier that your dad was kind of pushing you down the oral maskrofacial surgery route, and then you shadowed a bunch of oral surgeons. But what was the final thing that solidified your decision of going that route? Um, I would say like getting up into clinic, getting into the oral clinic at UConn, um, seeing um, two of the chiefs, Julie and Paul, one of my, um, I think they were chiefs my last year of dental school there. Uh, they were awesome. They like really, if you took any interest into like oral surgery, even if you were not going to do oral surgery for a residency, they were like, if you showed any interest, because a lot of the procedures that a general dentist does involve some form of surgery. So um, they were just very good teachers and they like really, you know, got us involved early. So I would credit them a lot. And then, you know, Dr. Lottinger, she was an awesome, you know, mentor. She took a lot of people like under her wing and like gave us advice so I'd say like collectively the entire department um, really solidified it. And even like the medical background, uh, the oral pathologists at UConn, um, they were both really good. Um, and I think the the biggest thing with both of our pathologists is they really took like the me their medical knowledge from pathology and applied it and like helped us, you know, develop like different, you know, differential diagnoses and, you know, how to like look at pathology. And that's something that really influenced me. Yeah, that's so cool. And so you're in Florida now for residency. Where were the other places you were debating? So you went home for a little bit, but where else were you thinking of 
or where you went to Connecticut for a little bit, but where else were you thinking of going for residency? Um, I visited a few programs all over the country. So I really liked um, Oregon Health and Science University in Portland. I really liked their program. Um, obviously, I really liked Jacksonville. I looked at Columbia. Um, UConn was uh, UConn was kind of a sleeper for me because it's, it was my home program. So I was like, oh, I, I already kind of know what their program entails. And it was funny. Every time I'd go somewhere else, I'd be like, you know, UConn's actually like it's a really, really good program. Not that I ever had any doubts about it, but like I was just so used to being my home program that I it ended up moving up higher on my list, um, on my rank list. But then I also I uh, visited North Carolina's program. I know that Duke doesn't have an OMFS program, but there's actually a few OMFS like attendings there. Um, but like so I did look at um, I was in Chapel Hill for the interview there. And then um Overall, like I looked on both West Coast, East Coast, the Southeast, um, but ultimately decided that I really liked the scope of practice um, in Jacksonville. And regardless if I decided to go into fellowship or academics or private practice, I knew that it would set me up well for any of those paths. Very cool. Do you know what you want to do? Fellowship, academics, private practice? Have you decided? Yeah, I, I kind of go back and forth. Um I've, I've almost, when I started, uh, when I first started, um, like applying, I, I really want to do kind of a similar scope to what your father does, like a lot of cosmetics, a lot of, um, you know, I really like his model of practice. Um, and then when I started in Jacksonville, I thought maybe I wanted to do like the head and neck cancer pathway. Ultimately, I've kind of gone back to wanting to do like a cosmetics fellowship. So a few of the other mentors of mine, like Dr. Uh, Mo Banky, um, he's like between um, Dr. Banky, Dr. Fernini, like a lot of the, um, UConn people, um, Dr. Paletta, who's partners with, uh, Dr. Banky in Rhode Island and Mass. Um, all of those guys are in Dr. Bevilacqua as well. He's somebody who's like close to like my, um, I shadowed him. Uh, he's local. He's somebody in Glassmere, West Hartford, um, all great surgeons and, uh, all really good mentors. So I've now kind of gone back to thinking I might do cosmetics, but it's hard to tell. I have two and a half more years. Yeah. which is kind of weird to say because out of a six-year program is so long, but um, I'm definitely thinking that I want to, you know, potentially pursue um, cosmetics, if not um, kind of figure out what I, I'm actually good at. Because yeah. as you go further and further in training, like as you're operating more, you figure out what you're good and not good at. And I think that that'll help me make my decision. Very cool. And how is residency? Well, how was, how did you view residency when you started off knowing that you had six years ahead of you? Did it seem daunting or were you excited for it? I was definitely like, it definitely is daunting. Um, but I mean, after your intern year, depending on what type of program you go to, whether you do a four or a six where you have a med school component or not, whether you start with your intern year or you start with med school, there's like so many different combinations. But in Jacksonville, we start with um, our internship for 12 months and then we go to med school um, in our second, third and part of fourth year. Once you get through that intern year, it's like definitely a lot different as you move further and further along in residency and have more and more responsibility, it's a different kind of stress, but I feel like the transition from dental school to residency is no matter what residency you do, whether it's like oral maxillofacial surgery, whether it's uh, prosthodontics, endodontics, perio, like any of them, it's going to be a transition. But I think for ours, just the hours and being in a hospital, as opposed to being in an outpatient setting all the time, that was a big challenge. But um, after that intern year, it's like definitely a lot less um, time consuming, but still a lot, a lot of hours spent at the hospital. Very cool. And you're in your third year now. Is it 
and has it is it been enjoyable yeah yeah so um i finished up i have like i'm actually in med i'm doing my last med school clerkship now i'll start my anesthesia rotation um in 2024 so like uh january february um and then after that i'll have my fifth and sixth year so overall like it's it's been really enjoyable i get along with my co-residents really well um one of them's actually from east haven connecticut so she's from like close to where i grew up so it's cool and then there's another person in the program who has family up in connecticut so there's like a small group of like people from the northeast but i get along with my co-residents colin and tina really well um, one of our other residents in my intern class, he's also in the program now. His name's Majid. Like collectively, we get along um, and work extremely well together, both um, in terms of our like, you know, between knowledge base, between between our like philosophy on how we practice. But we also just like each other, which is not always apparent. Like you don't necessarily have to, like the match. How it works is you could be matched with three people you don't get along with. Um, so we've been really lucky in that sense, but we, you know, and even in the program in general, that was another big draw for me to, you know, rank Jacksonville high is like, aside from obviously the excellent training, like the renowned attendings, I think one of the biggest things is like the residents, we like all get along, we socialize outside of work. Um, we like rely on each other. Um, a lot of us, you know, have families, a lot of us have pets, a lot of us have like have similar interests. So that makes it, you know, a very tough residency all the easier. Yeah, very cool. Speak. Do you have any pets yourself? No, um, uh, I don't. I'm actually so I got married in residency. Uh, I are expecting. So we talked about wanting a dog for a while. And um, with the advent of having a baby soon, we thought that maybe getting a dog at this point would be a little challenging. So yeah, exactly. Congratulations on both those things. Thank you. Um, very exciting stuff in the future for you. Honestly, thank you so much for doing this. The last question I have is, will you be going to the Olympics this year in Paris or this summer? Initially, we thought about uh, trying to get tickets. My wife, who's ironically, she is a former swimmer. She swam at Notre Dame for a year and then transferred to UF. Um, and she's also in uh, oral oral surgery. Um she so she has family in France. Uh, we thought about getting tickets, but obviously with the the baby coming at the end, of, like in a couple of weeks, and then we thought about it. Um, and actually, when we entered the lottery to get tickets, they were like relatively inexpensive. Um, so it might be tough for us. I was actually trying to get my dad to go because he actually swam for the French Olympic team in '76. Um, and I figured that it being in Paris, they probably have some kind of like alumni yeah. type. Ben. Um, so I don't know if he's going to try to do that, but um, he still tries to go to France with my mom a couple times a year, but I'm really looking forward to watching, even if I can't go in person, um, yeah. seeing both like T team USA and the French team. Like, I think it's going to be a really, really good showing and it'll be interesting to see, you know, how they do it in Paris because like a lot of the other cities that haven't hosted it in a while, like with the new infrastructure, um, they'll see, it'll be cool to see how they like implement old stadiums and some newer things. So I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, amazing. Thank you so much for this. Yeah, of course. Thank you.